from Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Good morning, my name is Jeff, I'm one of the pastors here. It is good to be back after a week away at Covenants. Um, and uh, before we uh, continue to look at this passage, please join me in prayer. Father, your word is always powerful. We also know that sometimes we miss it. We uh, can be so distracted by things that are occupying our attention throughout the week. Sometimes we just have a hard time believing it just doesn't ring true. And so as we once again are um, considering your word, we once again ask that your spirit would be speaking to our heart, that you would take the truth that we see here and help us to sense the reality of it, that you would shape us, that you would renew us and make us more like Jesus because in your words we find grace. And so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this psalm reminds me a bit of a, a prayer that I learned as a kid. I guess as many of you have learned it or maybe taught your kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. Is this familiar? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Do you realize how frightening her prayer is for teaching our kids? Every night, they're thinking that they might be dying the next day. You know, that, that actually was something that was kind of a, a reality or felt real to me when I was a kid. Um, like some of you, I grew up in the 80s. And during the 80s, the Cold War was still a reality. And so at some point, I don't know if it was like fourth or fifth, when I started understanding what that meant, I got it in my head that any night, Whiteville, Massachusetts, population 7,000, could be a target of the Soviet Union. And I might not wake up the next morning because we've been dead. And I didn't lay myself down to sleep when I thought that I might die before I wake. You know, I kept watch. There was this awareness. What happens? What is that sound? What is that sign? Could this be the night? We don't sleep very well. We're afraid. I mean, you know that. We, many of us, at least, unless you are someone of superhuman abilities, have experienced what it's like when there is something going on in our mind, when we're feeling stress, and we're trying to sleep, and our heads are on the pillow, and we're kind of doing mind games and pretending there's nothing to worry about, and we look at the clock, and it's one o'clock, and we get frustrated, and the anger just makes us more awake, and it's two o'clock, and it's three o'clock. I mean, some of us at least know what that is because. When we are fearful, we want control. And sleep is kind of the ultimate relinquishing of control, 
this. And, and so the two just don't go together. It is really hard to sleep when we're feeling fear. Which is why I'm so surprised when I think about it in this song. You know, the very end is a song that talks about sleep. But notice how it begins. It begins with these words, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This is not a, Father, everything's going great. Thank you so much prayer. This is, I am terrified kind of prayer. I mean, David was experiencing terror throughout his life. We don't know what the situation was, but quite likely he was running for his life because that seems to happen multiple times. It is quite possible that as he's praying this, he does not know if he will die before he wakes. There is real fear. And yet, at the very end, what does it say? In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. He is able to sleep. You know, when we were looking at Philippians, we, we heard um, Scripture speak of how the Christian is able to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. I think that's, that's what David has found. That somehow, even as he is fearing for his life, he is able to pray, now I lay my soul to sleep. And so I want to know how. Uh, how is it that he, in the midst of fear, is able to move from fear to peace so that he can, can truly let go of control and, and trust himself to God and, and sleep? I actually think the song that we have here, we see what David is doing. He moves from this time of fear to this time of restfulness. And in some ways, it's showing us how we can move towards peace as well. And what I think we see in these verses is David taking three steps. It's a step where he's surrendering the situation. It's a step where he then talks to himself. And it's a step that's involving delight. And I want to think about those with us as we ourselves seek to move towards peace. So first we see him surrendering his situation to God. Uh, those of us who are veterans of stress know that there are different kinds of stress, right? There are some times when we feel stress, but we feel like there's things that we can do to fix it. And so we start kind of plotting and planning. But then there are some times when we face worries that we realize we have absolutely nothing. Remember uh, a few years ago when I checked with Joel, um, he said I can talk to him, talk about this. A few years ago, Joel started spacing out. Joel, for those of you who don't know, was our youngest child. Tiny he was six years old. And to say he's spacing out doesn't sound like that big of a deal because, of course, every six-year-old boy will space out from time to time. But this even happened in the unusual times, like when he was playing video games and suddenly just stopped, or, or when we were having conversations, he would just kind of pause. And then we just didn't know where he went. So that was a little strange, and we, we discovered that it was what was called an absence seizure, uh, which is a form of epilepsy. Um, and what was frightening for just a few weeks about this was sometimes these absence seizures are caused by a brain tumor. Now, what do you do when you think your child might have a brain tumor? You can't persuade the tumor away. You can't hard work it out. It's not a puzzle you can solve. It is entirely outside of your control. Now, I know my experience isn't atypical. Many of us know that feeling of caring deeply about something and it being entirely out of our control. 
For many of us it is, is we're facing illness either ourselves or with someone that we love and we realize we can't do anything to fix it. Sometimes we're in a place where our employment needs to change. Maybe you're unemployed and you long for work and you're doing everything you can but you realize it's now not in your hands and there's no fix. Or sometimes it's in our relationship with people that are close to us. Maybe we're alienated from someone or maybe we're just and we're doing everything we can, but there's nothing we can do to fix it. It is outside of our control. What do we do in those situations? I mean, for me, by the grace of God, as, as you know, I mean, it, it ended up being something that for could be treated medically and everything was fine. That was completely normal, or completely normal, <laughs> relatively so. <laughs> but for a time there, I found out that there was nothing I could do, and the only thing I found myself doing in those moments was just turning to God and saying, God, I do not have this. But please, this is in your hands. And isn't that exactly what we see David doing? Just answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. That, that cry, answer me when I call. I am speaking, Lord, and I just need you to answer. I need you to hear me. It's like whatever he's facing, this, this worry that he's carrying is this big box, and he's staggering under its weight, and he finally realizes the only thing he can do is just drop it at the feet of God because there's nothing he can do to solve this. Lord, hear me. Answer me when I call. Do you know what that's like? That, that, that activity of just taking whatever it is that you were afraid of and, and surrendering. Saying, God, I cannot do this. Or this is completely up to you. Because it is one of the things that you and I absolutely have to do if we want to be able to experience peace. Yeah, I made the distinction earlier about some things that we can control and some things that we can't for our stress, but that's kind of artificial, isn't it? Because the reason you and I are stressed about anything is because no matter how much we are involved, there's an element that is outside of our control, and that's why we're afraid. We don't get afraid when it's completely in our hands. Every time we're stressed, there is an awareness that there's something, no matter how hard we try, no matter how well we can do, that could still go wrong. And the only way to deal with that is to say, God, this is yours. I will seek to be faithful. Lord, this situation is in your hands. I call out to you. Lord, will you please deal with it? To surrender our situation to him. And the reason that that is the pathway to peace is because God does have it in his hands. And what's more, we know who God is, and we know that he is way more competent than we are in handling our situation. And notice, even as David is crying out, he's also reminding himself of, the God is, and he's clinging to God's character. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. It's probably better translated, O my righteous God, my faithful God. And then he says, Be gracious to me. He's calling on God's mercy. He's remembering the kind of God that God is. Do you realize that God loves you more than you love yourself? Ephesians 5 speaks about knowing the love of Christ that surpasses 
all understanding. It is so deep we can never fathom. Do you know that God is more committed to your well-being than you are? How many times have we made promises to ourselves? I'm going to start exercising every day. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to do, and we keep on breaking our own promises. But when God makes promises, they are never broken. And he is committed to your own good no matter what. This is why surrendering the situation to God can lead us to peace, because we can trust God with the things that we can't trust ourselves with. This is something we need to do. If we want to move to rest, we need to surrender our situation to God, just like David does. But secondly, we also see in verses 2 through 5, David takes the step of talking to himself. <clears throat> I wish we had more time to go into detail, because there's a lot here in these verses. But fundamentally, what we see is David speaking to himself. What do I mean by that? Well, this David Marlowe Jones, who was this famous preacher from the 20th century, says that one of our main problems is that we allow ourselves to talk to us rather than us talk to ourselves. He says, consider those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Don't we know this? Whenever we're facing stress, there are all of these thoughts, these ideas, and they're just kind of coming at us. And here's what he need, we need to do. He says, instead of just letting ourselves talk to us, we need to push back. He writes, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself, question yourself. We don't have to believe our fears and our doubts. We can push back. And that's what David is doing here. He begins by pushing back against his doubts in verses 2 and 3. Now, it might not look like that, because in verses 2 and 3, he's talking to people. He's talking to people who are idolaters, those who don't trust God. But you need to remember, when he is praying this and he's writing this, those people aren't in the room with him. At least not literally. But they're there in his head. He's remembering their challenges. He's remembering their mockery. And he is speaking back to them. Maybe you can think of a situation. People that you know who seem to be doing great at life and yet really don't seem to have any concern about God. Really, what they're doing is they're trying to live out what we would call idolatry. They're trusting in their own financial success. They're trusting in their career. And yet, they seem to have it all together. And perhaps, whether we're conscious of it or not, in moments of our night when we're doubting everything, we wonder, maybe we've got it wrong. They have it wrong. David doesn't let those doubts linger. He, he talks back to them. He talks about by exposing the lie and speaking truth. He says, Oh men, how long shall my honor, literally it's my glory, be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? You might remember if you were here last week that David says, You, O Lord, are my glory. And here I think he's making a contrast. You are treating what is glorious, that is God, as if it's shameful, and instead, you're pursuing what is empty, what is alive. You know, Romans 1 says the essence of idolatry, humanity throughout the world, what it does is exchanges 
the glory of the immortal God for what is just an image of things like creatures or something else. And David said, that's, that's what's going on. I look at idolatry and I realize you are taking what is glorious, the one who created us, and you're holding on to something that is just a lie. That's always what our dreams. Whenever we pursue something other than God, we're taking what is glorious and we're moving it away and we're clinging on to air, to dust. And for a while, we might be able to sustain it. For a while, we might be able to do okay by clinging on to something that which isn't God. But there will be a time that it will be exposed. And oftentimes, that time is when we're facing stress or worry. We find ourselves needing to call out. But David says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So that's the difference. David might say, as we're tempted to idolatry today, does your bank account hear you when you call out? Will your career come to your rescue when you're in a time of distress? No, these are lies. He speaks back to his doubts. And then he also talks back to his fears, to the emotions that are overwhelming him. That's what we see in, in verses 4 through 5, where there are these kind of three statements. It starts with anger. Be angry and do not sin. Literally, it's, it's tremble. It's the idea of those times where our emotions are supercharged, whether it's fear or anger or whatever it is. We want to act in those moments, but rarely do those actions work. And he's saying, even as I am trembling, do not sin. Don't allow it to overflow into action that's wrong. And then it continues, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. We know what that's like, isn't it? When we are frightened and we're in bed and our mind is going and going and going and going, and he says, when that is happening, be still. Verse, uh, Psalm 37 says, be still and wait patiently for the Lord. And that's the idea here. Quiet your heart. Be still. See, what David has here is a decidedly different approach to our emotions than we oftentimes do. We think the emotions is the one thing in our lives that we have no control of. If we are feeling a certain way, that's the way it's going to be, and we just have to act upon it. That's oftentimes the way that we are told. And David says, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You can take what is true, what God calls you, and speak it to yourself. You can say to yourself, yes, right now, I am filled with emotion, but I do not have to. Yes, self, I know right now you want to solve this problem and keep thinking about it again and again, but you are just going to have to wait and let God deal with it. And then he says the third thing, where he moves from the negative to the positive, where he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Sacrifices at that time was the way that people would approach God. You could sacrifice in confession, you could sacrifice in giving praise. It was the way that you worked in terms of your relationship with David is saying, you have no control over the situation that you're afraid of, but you can turn towards God. So in those times of anxiety, rather than trying to act, rather than trying to figure it out, channel your energy towards God and trust Him. Do you see what he's doing here? We, again, when we, we feel doubts, we feel like those doubts are uncontrollable. When we experience stress, we feel like we can't do anything about that. And David is like, no, I'm going to fight back. 
I want to take what I know is true and speak to those doubts. I want to take to God's commands and speak to where my heart wants to go. I am going to push back. He talks to himself. That's the second step we see in moving towards peace. And let me say, these first two, they go side by side because as we find ourselves calling out to God and surrendering the situation in that moment, we feel the vulnerability. And so we have to talk to ourselves and say, God is faithful. He is good. Don't worry. And then even as we do that, we feel our inadequacy of trying to believe those things. So we need to call back to God. God, please help me to believe. And back and forth we go. And as this happens, the Spirit works in our heart and allows us slowly to let go. There is a third piece to this that is really important. In fact, there's a third piece that I think until we are doing this, the first two are never going to actually bring us to peace. And that is we see in the very final verse of the psalm that David has developed a delight in God. It is not, not only does he know that God does good things, but he's come to understand that God himself is good. Verse 6 asks the question, who will show us good? And David just immediately kind of responds right after, essentially says, you, you are good. I mean, that's what he's saying when he says, lift up the light of your face upon us. In the Old Testament, every time when priests would bless the people, would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And David understands what that means. And it's saying, the way that God blesses you more than anything else is for his face to shine upon you. The way that you are most blessed, the way that you most experience joy and delight is when you see the smiling face of God. Because you see, we get things wrong. We think when we're praying, we are coming to God because He's the one who gives the good things that we want. That's not actually the way it is. The good things that God gives us are meant to draw us to God because God is the one that we really want. Psalm 73 sings, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire apart from you. We saw this in Philippians, and we remember how Paul, how Paul speaks about everything is lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says the same thing here as he's moving towards peace. He says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when grain and wine abound. Yes, those people who are looking at other things, they might feast, they might have delight, but I have a deeper joy. I have you. And having you, I have a heart multiple. See, if we can begin, and I say begin because I think it's a lifelong process to really understand what this means. If we can begin to really taste and see this, that will help us face suffering in a whole new way. I was reminded as I was considering this of a section in Jan Packer's book, Knowing God, maybe some of you read it's a classic. And Packer relays this conversation he had with a professor who was being passed over yet again for a promotion because of his conservative Christian beliefs. 
And as they were talking together, the professor eventually concluded saying, but you know what, it doesn't matter, for I have known God and they haven't. It's a strong statement. I, I, I can't imagine myself saying it. It sounds kind of old, but, but there's an element there that sounds just so right that there is an awareness that knowing God, truly knowing God, changes the way that we perceive suffering. Do you know what that means? Because until we do, until we can begin to say, nothing on earth do I desire apart from you, O oh God, then we will not ever be able to find peace as we face suffering. Why? Because you and I both know that when we call out to God, well, sometimes what God does in response is different from what we're asking Him to do. You and I both know that when we're trying to cling to the faithfulness of God, we know that God's faithfulness might look different from what we want. Sometimes, the absence seizure actually is a tumor. Sometimes, the cancer that we know our loved one has is not cured. Sometimes, we spend months, years, Sometimes we're in relationships and they never are reconciled. And so if we believe that the only way that we can be happy is if what we're asking for is fulfilled, we will never be able to be at peace because we don't think we can trust God because we know God's going to do something different sometimes. But if you and I can know that really the essence of our prayer always at the heart is
For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let me give us a moment. This psalm is calling us to do is to take refuge in Him. And the way we usually need to do that is through confessing, is through acknowledging that there are other places that we've looked to other than God, and by turning to God, not only seeking His forgiveness, but clinging to Him. So I want to give us time silently to turn to God for refuge as we confess our sins to the one that we know is forgiven. And then I'll lead us in a confession after. So let's spend some time on that. You alone are the one who causes us to dwell in safety. And yet, Lord, you know how often we cling to other things for security, to our own abilities, to our financial situation, to our relationships with others, when you alone are the one who is our refuge. Father, please forgive us Give us for where we are not able to see that you are the good that we long for. And Lord, we ask, knowing our own weakness, would you please open our eyes and our hearts? Would you help us to see just how good you are, how trustworthy you are? Would you help us to speak to our own hearts this truth that we might truly be able to rest in you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. good news of the gospel from Romans 8 is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death.